As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello and welcome to the Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Of course, Phil's here from The Athletic. I'm Dan Moylan. With me from The Square Ball is Michael Normanton. You can subscribe to The Athletic and read all Phil's articles on Leeds. Everything else on the site, if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month for six months at the minute. Phil, tell me what's on there this week. We have Mark Viduka talking about the 4-3, which needless to say is is definitely worth a read. There's a piece on their profile about um, you signing Mark Rocker, which we're going to talk about a little bit um, in a moment. And there's also a rundown of what is going to be happening in Marsh's first pre-season. Any of the Daniel Sturridge news? No, not yet. Not yet. Well done, on, well done with that one. Just waiting on updates on that yeah, one. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. Pretty much. But um, it shouldn't be long. Looking forward to the long read on that one. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month you, for six You're months. both featuring it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the show then from um, it's Thursday morning. A very sunny, warm Leeds. You didn't fancy Glastonbury then, Phil? I, I did, but you can't get tickets, can you? No. Um, never Where, been, actually. We'd love to go. Go see Kendrick Lamar. You strike me as a Kendrick Lamar fan. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Into the football then. That is um, rolling forward. It's been quite a busy week in terms of uh, the gossip channels have been hot. They've been ringing hot this week. It started out as quite a, almost a bit of a negative start to the week because there was a lot of chat about Rafinha and Phillips both leaving. And then as the week's gone on, we've had links to some pretty cool players. Now we'll go through those in a bit. Let's start with Mark Rocker then because that was completed on Friday. So just after we released last week, you've done a bit on Rocker on the website. Uh, including Orta flying to Barcelona for a face-to-face with Rocker a week before that deal was done. He always does that, Orta, um, to go and chat with them, to present to them, uh, to pitch essentially what Leeds are going to do with them, how they see them fitting into the team and the squad and, and the general system. But with this one as well, there was a, a kind of feeling, certainly in Orta's mind, that he wanted to to speak to Rocker face-to-face to see if two quiet years at, at Bayern Munich had, had any impact on his motivation and his appetite and and his hunger, uh, and he was very impressed with what he saw, and and that uh, that meeting was about a week and a half ago now. But that was essentially what tipped the balance for for Leeds to push the button on it um, and to give it the the green light. It has been a couple of quiet years for Rocker. He played twenty four times in total for Bayern Munich, but very small number of league starts. Needless to say, they've got an extremely good squad there, really elite set of midfielders and. Well, what I found quite interesting about him and, and about Bayern's attitude towards him was that even when he left, 
they didn't really feel that he'd been a bad investment. They just felt that he was one of those players who got caught behind better midfielders or more established midfielders and, and hadn't been able to push his way through. But they didn't think it was a waste of money. They didn't think he was damaged goods at all. They actually made, I mean, very small one, but they actually made a profit on him. It wasn't as if his value had decreased in, in the meantime. And he seems to think that he's coming out of Bayern a better player than he was when he was at Espanyol. If you speak to people around him and, and they say that he thinks his approach to nutrition has improved. They think his body mass has changed, his muscle mass has increased. They think that he's benefited from training with better players at, at Bayern Munich than he had at Espanyol and also working with Hansi Flick and um, Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, so pretty interesting signing, I think, and, and particularly because it is coming in at around £10 million, a little like Rasmus Christensen. You sort of feel in the Premier League that at that sort of price, players are, are worth a punt, worth a gamble. And I do think there's a little bit of a gamble here because of the fact that he hasn't had two stellar years over in Germany. So, yeah, interesting one to watch. And very much not a Phillips replacement. No, um, we've sort of been banging this drum right from from the start. If Phillips goes and if Phillips leaves for City, they will sign somebody else. They, they have to sign somebody else. There is still high likelihood that Phillips will go, in which case they're, they're going to be back in the market. But the plan with Rocker was never for him to, to come in because Phillips was going. It was done irrespective of that, essentially because they have been shot in midfield for a long, long time. And Rocker does change that. You know, it gives them an extra body. They've signed Aronson as well. They're not in any way identical players, but in that area of the pitch, they do have a little bit more choice now. And as I say, Phillips is a separate matter altogether, but Rocker, they'd been looking at closely since January, but actually somebody who... Victor Ott has been interested in going back to Espanyol two years ago. I do like the idea of kind of transplanting that example of Otto flying out to see him and asking him if he's any worse or any better for the last two years. And it being a bit like lying in a job interview. <laughs> are, are, you, are you motivated to work here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Are, I'm, you, I'm... are you willing to move to Bahrain? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then worry about that a little bit further down the line. I think it's probably quite apparent, though, uh, when you speak to players and when you, you get the, a feel for the body language and everything else, how into the move they are. He, he took a fitness coach away with him on holiday to Ibiza, Rocker. I don't think for the club and I think for morning morning <laughs> sessions. And I should say that that's not unusual these days. I mean, players do that a lot, keep themselves fit through the summer. But I think he was very much of the mindset that he would be on the move in this transfer window and, and ideally on the move before pre-season started and, and wanted to be in, in very good shape. Again, people who know him talk a lot about him being big into things like meditation and mindfulness. He's a big reader of books, um, quite into his um, his literature. So, you know, a, a different character, I think. I'm, I'm pretty interested by him. I, I feel, looking at Christensen, that that's a transfer that's going to work. I think he he is going to be good. And, then, and again, at £10 million, I think that's really good value. I think Aronson will have more to prove because of the price that's been paid for him. But I feel like Rocker, again, £10 million, it's, um, it's one that looks worth a go to me. So if Phillips is to leave us then, Phil, which does feel likely, doesn't it? I think from from a fan's perspective, it won't go away, that one. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Who do you think is going to step into the breach? Because the most direct link of players going the opposite way is James McAtee and Romo, uh, Romeo Lavia from Man City, potentially coming back the other way. Two players who Leeds are interested in, and you wouldn't say it's beyond the bounds of possibility that if a deal was to be done for Phillips, that it might factor in one or other of them. But they're both young, very sort of inexperienced, and there will be a view at Leeds, and I think there is a view at Leeds, that if Phillips goes, and you're talking here about a 27-year-old who's a full England international, has a hell of a lot of appearances behind him, you need to be coming up with something that is fairly 
like for like in terms of pedigree. We might have touched on this before, but I'm not sure they necessarily need an identical player to Phillips because I don't know whether in Marsh's system the, the the Bielsa number four that was that was created so well with Phillips is actually as a as a place. You know, it, it looks like it'll be a holding two there, but they do need somebody who who has played at high level who who is of very very high caliber. You have seen the links to um, Mo Kamara at RB Salzburg, another Salzburg player. He was dramatically liking Instagram posts earlier this week. They do like him. They are obviously aware of him. I think he's the sort of player who could work for them. I hope he hasn't prematurely bought a house in All Woodley, but that is one of those that you would say don't rule out. Likewise, Tyler Adams at, at RB Leipzig, another Red Bull player. But someone who Marsh has known for years and years, going right back to his very, very youngest days, I believe signed his first professional contract under Marsh, came through under Marsh. They obviously worked together at, at Leipzig for a, sh- a short time while, while Marsh was head coach there. And all the signs from Germany seem to be that, that Adams will be on the move from them um, at some point in this window. I've mentioned a few times about James Garner over at Man United. I think that interest is still there. But again, you're talking about somebody pretty young. And I do think there will be pressure if Phillips goes for them to go for somebody who looks like, a, you know, an a oven-ready replacement, if I can use that phrase. I know money talks and everything in this business, but would there be any issue, any wrinkle, do you think, with the whole Tyler Adams, RB Leipzig thing? Because that's still not settled yet, is it? The Jean-Kevin Augustin um, thing. Well, it doesn't look like it. I mean, Salzburg are obviously in the same stable as Leipzig. It's um, the, the Red Bull umbrella over the whole thing. And admittedly, there was a, you know, there's a buyout clause in Christensen's deal. So that was able to be done. But when Leeds went for Aronson in January, Salzburg were very resistant to those offers and, and didn't contemplate them. But it was pretty apparent and, and they didn't really disguise the fact that come the summer window, they'd be willing to sell for the right price. And that was done immediately. You know, as soon as the season finished, we, we had word that that, that was going to get um, signed and sealed. And it was within um, a matter of days. So... That probably goes to show that despite the fact that there is this ongoing dispute over Jean-Kevin Augustine, which is still in the hands of Cass, we don't have a, a verdict or a decision on that yet, or certainly didn't last time I asked, which was a, a couple of weeks ago now. Despite that, it, I guess it goes to show that clubs in dispute can still do business and clubs in dispute can still take the money if it suits them. And, and I think if Leipzig want to move Tyler Adams on and Leeds are paying what they want for him, it's in nobody's interest, is it, to say, we're not taking that cash because of JKA. You know, I think... As we've seen with the, the Salzburg deals, if the money works and the money suits, then you, you do it. And, and that's a completely separate battle elsewhere. But that's not to say that the relationship between Red Bull and Leeds is a hunky-dory one, because it definitely is not. <laughs> but money talks, doesn't it? Of course at, it does, yeah. Day, yeah. yeah. Um, On all sorts of levels. Just to clarify who Cass is, that's the Court for Arbitration for Sport, which is the final ultimate ruling um, arbitration body in this matter, that- isn't it? So it's been passed up through FIFA. They will have the final say, will cast because it's independent. That's right. FIFA have already heard this. Uh, that was the, the first point of complaint for Leipzig. FIFA have essentially ruled in Leipzig's favour. Leeds have taken it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport um, because they are still contesting FIFA's ruling that they should pay for this or they should bear the cost of it. So, as I say, still waiting for the outcome of that. One of the things we love about the summer, I know you do in particular, Phil, is when we get photos of Victor Orta at various airports flying yeah. here, there and everywhere. You can guarantee there's a Leeds fan there with a, with a camera phone. This emerged last week that he was on his way to um, to Belgium, was Victor. And then, lo and behold, we were linked in the last 24 hours to Charles de Ketelaer, who's at Bruges, along with Noah Lang. So what do we think of that? We know that the, the club have a long-term interest in Lang. 
I mean, they, they do. What about De Ketelaar? I mean, he's, he's proper next level, isn't he? He is, and and they were also linked yesterday by um, journalists in Belgium with Cody Gakpo, who is at PSV, another player who they are interested in or, or do like. But it's a little bit of a holding pattern here because, as with the the central midfielders, they will come into play, and and the shortlist will come into play if Phillips goes. You know, they're they're not going to keep Phillips and sign an Adams or a, a Kamara. Um, it will be will be one or the other. And likewise with the wingers, they're being lined up and they're being looked at and, and analysed with a view to, to moving if and when Rafinha goes. And clearly there's been a bid for Rafinha from Arsenal this week, which hasn't really gone anywhere. But it is that, it is that attempt to prepare in the background for what might be coming in either the near or, or the more distant future. And the complication with a situation where you're potentially losing two of your best players is that you need to wait until you get the right price for them. You need to wait until the, the deal is, is spot on and, and the deal is, is good enough for you to take. But in the meantime, you have to make sure that they don't go and they aren't sold at a point where the players who you wanted to sign as replacements have either gone elsewhere or are no longer able to to move. You have to bear in mind that, say, take Tyler Adams as, a, as an example, Leipzig being willing to sell him in June or July is not the same as them being willing to sell him right at the end of the window. You know, circumstances change and you do get situations where clubs go from thinking, right, okay, they're expendable to looking at where they are in the year, the calendar year and in the season and thinking to themselves, actually, it's a bit too much of a risk at this late stage to to let them go. So it's a, it's difficult to find the sweet spot, if you are selling, of making sure that players go at a point where you can still get the, the, the targets who are top of your list. So very much a, a balancing act. It does feel like at the minute we've kind of done the affordable stuff, the stuff that we already planned to do this summer and yeah. they are just now waiting for well whatever comes next the one that isn't kind of in dispute about whether they're going to do is is a striker and I don't mean I can tell you who they're going to do but they are going to bring in a centre forward regardless of what goes on with other players that they can work on that they can look at you're absolutely right some of the business has been done quickly and the reason for that was because they could see quite obviously that the squad needed to be bigger and they knew some of the players that they wanted and they needed to make sure that that at least you know a handful of the players were in for pre-season so that Marsh could properly start working with them. So striker they can they can look at striker they can go after. We spoke a few weeks back about how they'd been after Nketiah because it looked for a long time like he'd be going from Arsenal, but he's signed a new contract there now, so that one is off the table. But in terms of central midfielders and wingers, that is all dependent on what is going on behind the scenes and and what is going to happen with Phillips and Rafinha. Let's imagine a world, though, in which both Rafinha and Phillips stay. Yes. Are you saying then that Leeds wouldn't look to supplement the squad in midfield and in the wider areas? Because that would still look like a threadbare squad to me. That would still still leave us light, I think. I'm not convinced they will. I mean, do you think they need another winger? Probably. You always look to upgrade stuff, don't you? Dan James is a striker, as we know. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see Dan James being a nine next season if Bamford is fit and you've got Gelhart coming through and another centre-forward coming into the squad. I guess if you had Phillips and Rafinha staying and to that you'd added Christensen, Aronson, Rocker and a striker, they would certainly be in a stronger position numbers-wise. And there is always that that crossover point where you go from having too few players to having too many. To be quite honest, I don't know what I would think about that. I don't know how the squad would look to me if if it was four players who came in in total. Central midfield, I always think bodies are apparent there. I'd, I'd don't personally see the call for another winger, given what's already in the squad. Assuming we get good prices for them, do you feel like the club almost need the Phillips and Rafinha to move on, so, the, so we can actually build the squad to a to a level that is more 
acceptable for the Premier League. Well, that this goes back to the Leicester model, doesn't it, of selling players at a high price and using that money to enhance the entire group. Uh, so you you kind of expend what are your your biggest assets and your your strongest talents, and and they go to, I want of a better phrase again, bigger clubs, you know, or, or clubs who are competing for for bigger things. But you end up with a spread across the dressing room, which is more competitive as a whole. And and that essentially is what would have to happen. If the, the, the big test will be if Phillips and Rafinha go, what does that money equate to when the season starts? You know, what Who comes in? Does it make Leeds better? Does it make them more competitive? Does it mean that you've got more options that put you in better stead for the, the entire season? That's how it has to work. Otherwise, there's no value at all in, in these players going. And, and also, there is no value at all in these players going at less than the the market value leads not really in a position I don't think where they're desperately under pressure to sell these two I think they've got to take it seriously in part because there are offers that will come up that Phillips and Rafinha would want to take they're also two years away from the end of their contract so the value is never going to be higher for Leeds than it is now unless they do sign new deals which looks pretty unlikely plenty to consider with it but clearly if a lot of money comes in for them they could do a lot of work to the squad it could do a lot of good it could make um it can make a big difference, but it, it genuinely has to. I mean, for me, the challenge is not just adding numbers, it's adding better quality. Um, and that's why I'm curious, particularly going back to the Ketelaire and Gakpo, do you think the interest there is genuine because they look like next level up style players um, where you could see money being reinvested in, in a really wise way? Uh, whereas at the minute, if you were to sell Rafinha and then bring in Adama Traore, you'd go, mm, have we really made the squad that much better or have we just made it faster? Well, well and more muscular. Yeah. Traore... And oily. Traore, yeah, I mean, I don't think there are enough oily footballers, do you? Um, <laughs> Traore is rapidly becoming the player who's going to be linked in every window to the to Leeds um, until the end of time. He and Alta do know each other really well. So that's one of those that I always have on the list of Never say absolutely never, but I just don't see how that fits. I don't see why that would work for Leeds. I don't see why that would be a he would be a player that that they would go for. So yes, the the interest in in those wingers is genuine, but it will be it will be dictated by Rafinha going before they move. They they are not going to go and sign Gakpo or Teketla unless Rafinha leaves. Is is my reading of the situation? Lang, I think that the. the has been, I mean, we, we said last summer, they were very, very keen on Lang. So it's not as if the interest there will have died. It just, from what I can gather, there are other players that they would rather have ahead of him if they had the pick and they had plenty of money to spend. Um, but it, it is, it's like waiting for pieces to drop into place, isn't it? Um, and, you know, Phillips and Rafinha are due back for pre-season in little over a week's time, which kind of makes you wonder what's going to happen in the meantime. With the winger links, actually, where does Somerville fit into this? Because he's entering the last year of his contract. There's some talk of him going elsewhere. They are talking to Somerville about a new deal. At the moment, they haven't indicated to him that he would be allowed to go on loan. I think he personally is quite keen to go on loan because late last season when he asked to go in January in Hamburg, amongst others, were trying to sign him. He, he feels like he needs games. You know, It's the Cody Dramme effect of wanting to get out and play. Nottingham Forest, like him, Sheffield United, like him, I don't think it would be in any way difficult to find him a club if Leeds wanted to send him out on loan. But at the moment, they haven't they haven't given him the nod that that's going to happen. And there's no reason to send him out on loan with a year left on his contract, is there? If we still value him, because we just you're essentially just running someone's deal down there. Oh, he's only 20, so if he was out of contract, there would still potentially be a fee if, if Leeds offered him another deal. But I think that's why they'll be speaking to him. They do like him and, and they do 
rate him. And I think the fact that they're not saying to him, you know, you, you definitely going out on loan gives you some indication of the fact that, that he is fairly close to the picture without being likely to um, to play regularly. And and last season, when it shifted from Bielsa to Jesse Marsh and the, the group of under-23s who were working with the first-team squad became smaller, he was one of those who was still very much in the mix. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. To some of the other links then, Phil. Got quite a long list there to get through, so let's go for it. Hurrah! <laughs> Arnold Kalimwendo, the striker at PSG. Um, seems to be in the right ballpark price-wise. Yes, I think like loads of clubs in Europe very much like him or like him, but as far as I'm aware, I have not bid for him yet. But isn't Radrazani mates with Nasser from PSG? Can't I just yes. have, a, have a quiet word? Yes, you'll have seen the stuff last week about PSG inquiring about Phillips, which interested me greatly. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Phil? It, the, your first inclination was, is this a stalking horse? Is the, I mean, I, funnily enough, about two years ago, somebody or, or a year ago, somebody had said to me that both PSG and Real Madrid had had sort of very, very speculative nibbles at Phillips, which is to say that they'd sort of asked the question about him without getting in any way active or, or in any way busy so not beyond the bounds of possibility but it does seem like all roads lead to City on that front I think Ottavio Ottavio Potato Potato I'm not sure which it is but the guy at Porto saw him linked don't know quite honestly right. don't know um, what position was he again was he he was sort of all round midfielder wasn't he I think I mean so many names that I've added to this list late last night when all the news broke that uh, I was struggling to get through them all it has it has actually caught fire since uh, really since the Rafinha Arsenal story Came out, it's been winger after winger after winger being linked. There's also um, Hamid Traore at um, Sassuolo. Uh, in Italy, was did, linked did by Gazzetta dello Sport. Did we just get the wrong Traore then? Ah, maybe, maybe, yeah. So a different one uh, by the by the same name. Again, news to me, I don't know if that is um, if that is concrete or not. The thing with Leeds is that because they do scout so far and wide, they can easily get linked with scores and scores and scores of players. Like Rodrigo um, de Paul, for example. Very much so. Um, and the key to this is going to be who are they actually going for? Who are they actually interested in? Who is that then, Phil? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sergio Gomez. I don't even know who this is. <laughs> Pass. Uh, sounds like a golfer. Daniel Sturridge. Should we get back onto that one? No. Old, old news, that one. Um, <laughs> That's a done deal. We don't, we don't say, talk yeah. about that one. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to disrupt the medical and so on. Um, Alex Scott at Bristol City, young player. He's only eighteen. Alex Scott looks absolutely fantastic. By the way, that would be a real, a really good investment in the future. That one, wouldn't it? They have looked at under twenty threes again this summer. George Hall and Sonny Perkins Hall at Birmingham, Perkins at West Ham. 
in particular. I think what they're finding is that under 23 fees are pretty chunky this summer. There seems to be quite a premium on them. So I'll be interested to see what they actually do with these, whether they do go for it, because as much as they are clearly still pushing the, the under 23 model and investing or wanting to invest at that level, I think it will be quite apparent after last season that they can't let that impinge on what they're doing at first team level. So a lot of these will depend ultimately on on what the fees are and and whether they can can agree them. But do they, they know that football's quite an expensive business generally? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you just pay whatever, does it? You know, you and it doesn't mean that you don't have a top end to your budget. So, say for example, a under twenty three who you thought you might get for three or four million is suddenly ten million or twelve million. Do you just do it, or do you say that's money actually we should should spend elsewhere? You do have to consider these things. So are we saying yes or no to Alex Scott of Bristol City? Alex Scott, I'm not sure about. George Hall is a definite that they're interested in. Sonny Perkins is um, a definite that they're interested in. Any updates on keepers yet as well? Because that one's been bubbling away quietly about a senior keeper coming in. Maybe, uh, I say senior, I mean a, a backup for uh, for Melier, who's perhaps a bit older and more experienced. Yeah. It's as def- opposed to an over 65. It's, it's, def- <laughs> it's definitely under discussion, this one. Melier will be first choice again next season. But there is a temptation to bring in a more experienced second choice. Kassir is due to be back training with the initial group next week, but I think the expectation is that he will go this summer, whether that's on loan again or whether they find a way to sell his contract or find him a, a permanent move. I don't see him coming back into the picture. I think the bigger concern without anybody being unfair to Klassen, who actually on his one appearance, very good at Wolves. I know he was mixed in the 23s, but that was a under a lot of pressure on that night. That was a, a really top performance from him as a substitute. But there is just that concern about if Melly was to get injured, do they have what they need to see them through the period where he's missing? They they had a look at Dan Randolph down at West Ham in January, but didn't do it. I think that is the kind of keeper that they would look for. I, I would imagine, um, or, or somebody with somebody with good experience, put it that way. If they decide that uh, that they want somebody else to come in, but I have a feeling that they might well do that. Is there a strange lack of striker links at the moment? Given you said we're we're definitely doing one because it feels a bit like. Callum Wendo as well, if we're looking for for someone to compete with Bamford for first team places, someone who's 20 and has played on loan at Lons doesn't seem like the obvious fit for that. There was a really good piece in The Independent this week and actually good stuff from um, Rory Smith in the New York Times as well about what they were saying is kind of death of number nines in the game now. It, it's People feel that with um, Nunes going to Liverpool and Haaland going to City, you know, big physical guys up front who are massively talented, have a lot of skill and, and technique as well, but kind of have the body shape of classic number nines uh, possibly coming back into fashion. But what they were saying was that because of the way the game's changed tactically and the way that so many teams play, you know, everybody, or say everybody, but lots of people following the Guardiola model, your classic number nine has kind of gone out of fashion. And and as a result, academies are not producing them in the same way. And they aren't there. They, they aren't kind of prevalent across the market. And if you think, if you use Leeds as an example, who was the last quality number nine? to come out of Leeds Academy for an academy that's produced a huge number of players and a huge number of really high quality players it's, it's really hard to think of anybody that has, has come out and you know I, I would say going back to Alan Smith really would be the last centre forward or you know that type of player who's who's been developed you've had countless examples of you know other positions like Delph and Phillips at central midfield Moat and Lewis Cook in the same positions Byron Charlie Taylor at right back you would say more fashionable you know, more fashionable areas of the pitch these days, everybody is big on quality fullbacks, wingbacks who can basically play as wingers if they need to. Everybody's big on ball playing midfielders. The number nine isn't isn't quite there. So to answer your question, 
I don't imagine there's a, a massive, massive wealth of choice out there for, for what you can do. But you're right, the links to the striker haven't really picked up, certainly since um, the Enkitia story was out and about, but I think they will. Even then, Smith, you would argue, was probably a, a second striker, wouldn't you? He wasn't the, even an out-and-out number nine. That's what I was going to say, and, and there was more scope back in that era to play with a front two. But whereas these days everything is gravitated towards having you know more of a front three these days, and, and sometimes within that, Nobody who would really pass as a, a centre forward, exactly. So does, it is, does Jesse Marsh know about this? I, I suspect he knows more than me about it. Yeah, but <laughs> well, the, you, I mean the three up front, the three up front. Yeah. Well, well, I, I I'm actually really interested to see what they do next season and how this is going to shape up. Is it is is it just going to be four two three one? Is it going to shift around? As I say, I cannot see it being Dan James there. Surely, um, especially if Bamford is fit and available, um, and somebody else comes in. But it it was it. It just intrigued me reading those pieces, you know, just about whether, I mean, Haaland is, Haaland's like a one-off and it just seems constantly like a, a freak of nature, but whether that is going to come back into fashion, that sort of played a little bit more. You're right though, there is genuine intrigue around how we're going to play because we knew exactly what it would start out like under Bielsa every season, didn't we? The, the formation was essentially fixed. It's a very, very important period for Marsh. He described the, the back end of last season, his 12 games in charge as being like a, a kind of band-aid operation where you were kind of using sticking plasters to keep everything together and you know get yourself over the line and whatever else and it was pretty fraught to say the least and it was tense and it was fractious in points this if you remember was and he said himself when he came in was the ideal point in his head to be taken over which was the the, the end of one season the start of another with them um, summer ahead of you in a transfer window and, and pre-season and everything else so he's there now and, and he's got this and and this is the period where I think he can you know, if if he is going to stamp some definite identity on the team, and if it is going to become very clear exactly how Leeds are going to play, this is where you'll see it because there are new players coming in. They've got the friendlies. They've got loads of training sessions. They've got weeks ahead of them to to work. Th- there should be some progress on that front. There should be some development on that front. It's a it's a crucial period for him. This it feels like it's it's interesting to see how the the sort of team ethic will pan out next year as well because you'll see Dallas obviously not starting the season. Ailing likely dropped. Phillips possibly sold, and then you've got the people who were there through the promotion, people like Hernandez and Berardi who were kind of leaders in the dressing room, that's going to have completely changed and maybe the power will shift towards Marsh, I guess, with the signings he's made. I don't think Ailing will be fit for the start of the season. I think he's likely to miss a few games just as he recovers from um, from knee surgery. But you're right, it, it does feel more than ever as if it's been a transition in this period and it is moving on and, and that you might potentially have a team next season which has far less of the the uh, you know the sprinkling of Bielsa over it. Um, clearly, there's been that change of head coach anyway. But it it does feel as if Leeds are, are little by little moving on quite rapidly now. Let's chat about Rafinha then, because this one is being played out, it feels like, via agents and the media. And there's Barcelona, apparently his preferred destination, but we've seen bids from other clubs coming in, Arsenal notably this week. Where are we with this one then, Phil? Well, the odd thing about Barcelona is that they're in no position to bid because they don't have the money to bid. And whether or not they pull the money together by the end of August is hard to know because obviously there are ways to do that and they have players that they can sell, particularly De Jong. But it, I don't think it would suit Leeds in any way to sell him at the back end of the window. The timing of that would, would not be particularly convenient. And there's nothing to say that actually Barcelona would be able to do a deal for Rafinha at the level that they would have to pay. There's... There's this weird narrative on Twitter about 
that is suggesting that Leeds are in somehow deny uh, in some way denying Rafinha his dream move to Barcelona when Barcelona can't actually pay for him. It's completely bizarre. So although that has been the one that the drum's been beating about since you know January February time, and although that seems to be the one that that Deco his agent is closest to because he has very close ties to to Barcelona. It's hard to know if it has any legs at this stage. Maybe it would have on the other side of the World Cup. You know, maybe maybe that would the door would open there. So in the meantime, the door is clearly open for other clubs to to bed. I think if Barcelona had the money, it would be very hard for anybody else to get involved because that seems to be where he, he would want to go if he was leaving. Arsenal have bid, and nobody's really talking about the fee on this, but from what I can gather and what I understand, it was below £40 million. So therefore, it was just smacked straight back over the net and rejected pretty much straight away. And it remains to be seen if Arsenal come back for a second time. Why they, they bid at that level, I have no idea, because that was never going to get accepted. Had Leeds been relegated, that's exactly the sort of fee that clubs probably could have twisted their arm into, into taking. But not in this division, and, and not given that he, he does have two years left on his contract and he's going to be going to the World Cup with Brazil, and, and he is absolutely flying with Brazil as well. He, he is what you call hot property Spurs are interested. There seem to be rumblings from Chelsea as well, but it's another one, a little bit like um, the Phillips deal, where it's all just kind of going round and round in circles at the moment. And there are some fun subplots in there as well, in that Deco, who is his agent, Rafinha's agent, knows Edu, who's at Arsenal. Is he there? Uh, he's not director of football, but maybe head of recruitment. Yeah, he, he runs the recruitment there. Yeah. yeah. So there's, a, there's suggestions that they're cooking something up there in the background. And it's just strange, isn't it? Yeah, the, the bid level... Under 40 million, you say, do you have a, an idea about how much Leeds are going to be looking for in this? Well, I think at top whack, they value in between 60 and 70. Whether or not they would get offered that um, by anybody remains to be seen. And you then get into that <laughs> that sort of awkward circumstance where you start to think to yourself, in six months' time, he's worth less. In 12 months' time, he's worth less again. What do you ultimately settle on? Um, but they would like something in, in that ballpark, I think. They're certainly not going to take sub 40 for him. And I mean, you, you mentioned there about the link to Edu and whether or not they're cooking something up. And that's obviously purely speculative. But if they are, at, at the moment, what Rafinha's got is the, the carrot of a move to Barcelona, which doesn't really seem to exist. And an offer from Arsenal, which was so far short, it was never, ever going to succeed. Um, it's a little bit difficult to know what everybody's playing at. It reminds me a bit of when Arsenal put in a, a bit of forty million for Luis Suarez because they discovered he had a clause in his contract that he had to be told about bids above forty million or something. So they put the bid in, and then he just went, "Well, no, <laughs> yeah. obviously." They were clearly massively crossed wires there, where they thought that an extra pound was going to do it, and then it didn't. So it's uh, it's all pretty embarrassing. There is no buyout for um, Rafinha. There would have been if um, Leeds had gone down, and the same with Phillips, but there isn't at the moment. So you have to pay what what Leeds would would accept and I think if, if if Leeds were to get what they consider to be at least you know reasonable or realistic opening offers it's not that they're going to jump on them but you know they, they would understand that there is potentially a discussion to be had but there's not really any room for a discussion when it falls a long way short of what you're looking for and stories this week that Chelsea are the English based front runner for Rafinha if you are to believe what those reports say and again I'm just looking down the list of Deco's former clubs uh, Barcelona is in there and oh so is Chelsea well there you go <laughs> no we will see we will see at the moment I don't think there's been anything specific from Chelsea certainly no offer the the only offer as we speak has been from Arsenal which as it happens is that you know there's been no offer um, for, for Phillips at this stage yet but we do expect that to come from City and um, 
a lot of these internet profiles who are the ones peddling this line about, you know, you're denying him his dream move. It's all the, the GOAT season people, isn't it, who don't go to games, but just sit on Twitter <laughs> tweeting out opinions about finished clubs and things like that. Finished clubs. You know, yeah. all, the, all that yeah. kind of nonsense. <laughs> Actually, finished so, journalists, we no, get loads of that as well. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> n- none of them aware of, of the idea of legally binding contracts, which obviously we have with Rafinha. Well, it's, it's more just that if you want somebody, you pay the money, don't you? Football must be the only business in the world where maybe you could say this about other sports as well perhaps like this in the NBA or NFL I don't really know how how they work when it comes to fees and, and everything else but it must be the only ga- only in you know arena industry in the world where people basically say I want this player for this money and, and you should let him go it's like going into somebody's house and saying I'll have this house and I'm paying this for it and and they have to go oh, yeah fair enough I mean that'll it's mean my dream house though yeah it's let my dream it. house I, I mean I know you won't be able to buy yours and you know you'd probably end up on the streets but you know this is where we want to live so gay stuff get out no like it's if if barcelona want rafinha they, and they pay the money they'll they'll get him you're a finished estate agent yeah so ryan edmondson has gone on to carlisle now that phil released from his um duties by leads so he can go and, and sign there that's probably a symbol more than anything of the speed and the acceleration that's happened at under 23's level, isn't it? That uh, we've moved on from players like that, which sounds disrespectful, but you know what I mean? Like that sort of, that level of recruitment, we seem to be trying to up it at a real rate of knots. There were a lot of 23 signings when Radrazani first bought the club and there aren't too many of that initial batch left. The the 23's who've come after that have been more durable, I would say, and some of them have been been more longer lasting, but it certainly makes sense for Edmondson, he's he's actually had been on the books for almost five years at Leeds and it was quite clear that he wasn't going to break through at this level. So he was with Port Vale towards the end of last season. They got promoted from League Two. He's gone to Carlisle where he'll work with Paul Simpson who coached him the England youth setup. Um, strikes me as a, as a good move for him and an absolute no-brainer for Leeds to let him go. And the 23s becoming the 21s isn't it, this next season? That's worth noting. Did you spot that? I did. <laughs> you glazed over, Phil. It seems to bounce back and forward all, all the time. Um, but, but, al- but strangely, they're allowing more overage players into that group. I think it's five you'll be allowed. So I, I'm not sure exactly how it works. So it's just going to mean somebody somewhere with a spreadsheet is going to go, no, you can't pick that team. Oh, yeah, you can. In the end, it's all the same, isn't it? It's young players who are developing um, and, and clubs recruiting at that level. There'll be decisions to make about quite a few of them, I think. Jamie Shackleton... You almost can't really class him as a you know under twenty three, certainly not an under twenty one anymore, because he's been in the pitch at first team level for for such a long time, but without ever properly breaking through. And I do think this will be the window where, if the, uh, you know, loan or a permanent move can be found for him, he will go. And he really, he really needs to, he really needs to play. Probably, uh, we spoke about some of it earlier. Again, I think if, if if he is to go on loan at any stage, that'll be quite a late decision. But it doesn't look at the moment like Leeds are, are swaying in that direction. Creswell, I think, is probably the one. What do you do with Creswell? Because if there's a position where they do not need to recruit, uh, in terms of numbers, it's um, it's centre-back. They've got Cooper, they've got Strike, they've got um, uh, Llorente, they've got Robin Koch as well, they've got Creswell, they've got Helder, who is only 18, but you know played last season and actually looked pretty good when he did. I'd like to see Creswell get pushed a bit more. I, I don't think it's necessarily reasonable to expect him to start loads and loads of games this season coming, although he looks really good. I mean, he does. I've been watching him for the for England's under-21s and, and very, very impressed with him. But it would seem to me to make total sense with him if, if he isn't going to be playing to get him out somewhere good and let him get a, you know, a, a proper hardcore season. We spoke to Hayden Evans on previous shows yeah. uh, about 
Cresswell and, and the dilemma that, that they sort of face when they get into that almost that that no man's land between the 23s and, and the first team and and how them as an agent how they have to weigh up the the benefits of keeping them there but not playing um versus getting them out on loan somewhere and playing and you, you get the sense with Creswell he needs to play doesn't he so do you do you go down that path of say accruing 10 first team appearances this season and then be on the bench most weeks or do you go out and give him 30 or 40 games in in the championship or league one i think there's never a guarantee that you're going to accrue 10 appearances um, if you stay so that's that's where the gamble comes really I, I would have thought Leeds will give some pretty clear direction about where he stands in the pecking order so if they're saying look Llorente's first choice for the sake of argument assuming that, that Marsh like Bielsa goes for a left footer and a right footer Llorente's first choice on the right hand side Cock is second choice or vice versa Cock is first choice Llorente's second choice then you're obviously going to say to yourself okay well in that case it takes an injury for Creswell to come into the picture at all let alone to, to start games. If they were saying A and other is going to be first choice, but Creswell's going to be second choice because we do want to start pushing him now, then the consideration is is completely different. I, I think it is probably for the best if he isn't going to be heavily involved this season or, or involved to any great extent that he does go somewhere else because there will be loads and loads of clubs who would take him. I would have thought it'd be quite easy to get him a championship move, no problem. And, and looking at his physique and looking at his technique, I think he'd cope with that really well. You want, him to, you want him to be our Ben White, don't you? Minus the, yeah. the sale at the end of it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, ideally. Uh, but that's that's it. I mean, White had actually had good loans before. You know, he'd done he'd done well at Newport. It'd been a bit more mixed at, at Peterborough, I think, but he'd done fine. But that was a great move for him to Leeds. It was it was the making of him um, and the making of his reputation. And lo and behold, not so long after, it's £50 million move to to Arsenal, like you say, that's not what you'd, you'd want to do with, with Creswell. Ideally, he develops and he becomes your automatic choice on, on that side of, of the defence. But I think I think Shackleton is, a, and I think people will be mindful of what's happened with Shackleton, that he, Shackleton was always one of these players who when he was 15, 16, everybody spoke about, you know, if you chatted to youth team coaches at Leeds, they'd always mention him as, oh, he's someone to, to look out for. And he deserved that reputation because he is a really talented guy and, and he is a really good player. But he kind of got stuck on the fringes um, under Bielsa and, and hasn't got himself away from there. And now is you know twenty two, starting to get into the you know the, the kind of more advanced years beyond the academy. You know he's not too far off what you call his, his peak zone. So he needs needs games, and I think people will be anxious to make sure that Creswell doesn't find himself in the same boat. That two or three seasons go past, and you you realise that you've racked up a, a pretty small number of games, and you haven't developed. With reference to Bielsa then, uh, I'm sure there'll be one or two players within that squad who will be pleased that they're not coming back into his um, his pre-season and his, uh, his fitness uh, regime. Do you know what? They, they all gave me the impression of being massively enthusiastic about it. I think they knew it was going to be brutal and they knew it was going to be pretty horrendous. But in the first summer, you had the novelty factor. You know, if you... Like, don't everybody laugh at this, but I joined a kickboxing club before um, Christmas, which is just basically like a fat dad's class, you know, um, and, I, and I sort of go at it with that um, that spirit in mind. But the novel is really hard. So the novelty of it to begin with, you're like, I'm quite enjoying this because it is kind of killing me and I haven't felt that for a while. So they had that in the first summer at Leeds. And then I, I remember speaking to Liam Cooper at the start of the second summer and him saying, this time we know what we're coming back to. So actually you can prepare yourself mentally for it and you know how to manage your way through it. And I never got the impression through the, the four pre-seasons that there was ever a point where the players were saying, we're absolutely sick of this. And the reason for that was because it kept working so well. And obviously it didn't work as well last season. So 
you know, maybe if they'd been coming back to that this summer, they'd be thinking, oh, Christ, here we go. Yeah. But it was very easy, I think, for them to draw a line between the what they were doing and the impact it was having on them as individual players and, and them as a team. Um, and the impact was absolutely massive. But it will be different this time. It's not to say it won't be intense this time. I think there will be double sessions, the, the usual stuff. But I very much doubt it will get pushed to triple sessions and everybody leaving at kind of eight o'clock at night, which did happen from time to time. Are but we any closer to getting a, a full backroom staff yet? Still sorting out um, assistant for Marsh. Um, I think there will be new fitness coach coming in as well. But it's uh, it's all all still being arranged. They're back at Thorpe Arts this week. The initial group of players, which excludes the internationals, they start on Monday. So 20, is they the co- is they the coaches? Sorry, the coaches. Yes, back this week. yeah, they're yeah. they're in just doing preparation as they do. The initial group of players, which is minus internationals, they start on Monday, which is the twenty seventh. And then your group of internationals who've been involved in games over the summer um, have got an extra week, so they're due back on July the 4th so there will be some testing on Monday at Leeds Beckett University which Leeds have done in previous summers as well this week coming up and then before you know it they'll be getting into the friendlies Do, do you think the um, the impending return particularly I'm thinking of the internationals here someone like Calvin Phillips is, is that going to focus their mind? Will they look to get something done before someone like Phillips comes back to, to Thorpe Arch? Uh, do you mean will they look to sign somebody else? I mean, would they look to, if there's going to be a deal done there, will the idea of him coming back and starting pre-season with Leeds maybe focus a few minds uh, when it, it comes to the, it's a potential cer- transfer? It certainly could. I mean, I can't really speak for anybody on that, but it goes without saying that if he is going elsewhere, the club who are taking him would like to have him for the start of pre-season. If he is going elsewhere, the club who are selling him would think, what's the benefit of having him here for three or four days of training only for him to leave? But, these things take their own time, don't they? Um, and at the, and root, at the root of it is the, the fee, I guess. Well, well, the, yeah. well, that, but that, that's the point as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's take Rafinha as an example. If by the end of the window, and I, I don't think it's very likely, but if by the end of the window, the only offer is the offer that came from Arsenal this week, then he'll not be going. He'll yeah. not be going. You know, he just will not leave for that um, amount of money. So it's, it is very much up in the air. But July the 4th is the date when you're international. So Christensen... Aronson, Phillips, Rafini, etc. will be back. Um, but somebody like Rocker, who isn't international, will be there on Monday. And we've seen weddings and they've all been off on holiday having a jolly nice time, haven't they? Jack Garrison's yes. just been doing football by the looks of it. He's, uh, he's in some uh, football academy thing in Marbella by the looks of it. It almost makes me miss the day when... Is he teaching or learning? <laughs> I, presume he's, I presume he's learning. He looks to be, um, he looks to be doing lots of running and stuff. I right. almost he does a lot of stuff through the summer, him. He yeah. Does, yeah. Yeah, he does quite... A, in years gone by, he's done loads over in the States in between seasons. It's a long way from it, a sunburnt Paddy Kenny holding a cocktail, <laughs> which is what we used to get. I was going to say, on, on the one hand, Harrison's uh, commitment to his job is a little bit sickening isn't it but also you've got to admire it but as I say Rocker had a fitness coach with him in Ibiza so every morning they were doing fitness sessions um, I don't think he crawl, ever, out of, crawl out of amnesia and then well, go for that's, a run that's yeah. what it's like your hideous hungover runs down the beach I don't think I don't think anybody properly gets away from it I remember Dallas last summer speaking to him and, and he said you know his, his view was that they were really well prepared for last season he felt like the preparation through pre-season had been really good and really strong and that they were in great shape and he said it's, it gets quite annoying these days because it's almost like a competition to see who can come back in in the best shape. And and actually, I'm one of those people who likes to go away and have a bit of a good time over the summer. You know, somebody likes to go away and have a bit of a break from it all and, and a bit of a bit of a rest. But more and more, it's just a it's a twelve month a year job. This is why you love the transfer window, isn't it? Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, yes, under twenty ones, the Papa John's draw has been made. Uh, we are in Northern Group B with. Drum roll. 
uh, Bolton, Crew, and Tranmere. Oh, I was hoping for Derby. I know. Never mind. Uh, Imagine have you seen the um, the start of Derby's fixture list? Because we are recording on the day that the EFL fixtures have I was, come out. I was going to say happy EFL fixture day. I mean, I, I was immediately drawn towards uh, Burnley's fixtures because, you know, that's the alternative universe we could have found ourselves in. They look hideous enough. But then uh, a friend of mine has sent me Derby's, just again, trying to have a giggle at their expense, really. They start with Oxford at home, Charlton away, Carabao, Barnsley at home, Shrewsbury away, uh, Fleetwood away, Carabao again, uh, Peterborough at home, and so on and so forth. I think you need to adopt a championship team for your square ball podcast, follow somebody through the season so that you can you can have virtual experience of those Tuesday night trips to Swansea and remind yourself of how it could have been. I mean, it was it, it was... It was lovely looking at the EFL fixture list this morning because some of it looks absolutely awful and you just thought <laughs> that could so easily have been us. I think naturally we've got to be drawn towards Burnley. If we're going to do that, it has to be it has to be Burnley. Well, Derby's first midweek game away is Shrewsbury. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I confidently predict that had Leeds been in the Championship, they would have had midweek games at places like Swansea because there was always this weird agreement among clubs that, I say weird, I mean, it did kind of make sense financially, but they, they wanted the games that were likely to draw the biggest crowds to be on a Saturday or on a weekend because it meant that it was easier for people to travel, which meant that you were forever at Bournemouth on a Tuesday. I mean, that that's actually a totally separate discussion altogether. <laughs> uh, but Fulham on a Tuesday, you know, Cardiff on a Tuesday, Swansea on a Tuesday, because the, the thinking was that, and it again, didn't apply to Leeds because Leeds always took massive away support. But for other clubs, you know, who were, were travelling long distances, they might only take a handful of fans. Therefore, you know, the, the income for those clubs who are at home is is compromised. And what you want, you know, Swansea and Cardiff want to play on a Saturday or on a Sunday because that's when you, you pack the place out. So, yes, there would have been some long night trips for us, without a doubt. Yeah, the Burnley alternative universe here is not a, it's not a, a friendly place. It's a planet we want to avoid. Let's stay where we are. Uh, as much as we might dislike elements of the of the Premier League, because they start, I mean, listen to how much of a grind this is. Let's just do August just as a as a starting point for Burnley. And imagine, this is the the whole bullseye. This is what you could have won yeah. um, section this of the show. This is the caravan, yeah? Yeah. Uh, so Friday the 29th of July. So that's only, well, five weeks from now. Burnley uh, are going to Huddersfield away. Then you've got uh, the following Saturday, you've got Luton at home. And then the following Saturday, you've got Watford away. And then it's the Tuesday straight after that, you're at home to Hull followed by Blackpool at home on the Saturday, um, followed by Wigan away the weekend after that. Uh, three days later, you've got Millwall at home, and that's just that's just August. Just an awful, relentless grind. Yes, a lot of games as well. You forget there are times in the Premier League where it feels like you're hardly playing because you're so used to Your body's so conditioned, your mind's so conditioned to LA League Cup games, which, okay, you still kind of get in the Premier League, but, you know, Saturday, Tuesday is pretty prevalent in the EFL in a way that it just isn't in the Premier League. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure when the fixture list got announced for Leeds last summer, prior to things getting moved and prior to, to COVID wreaking havoc, they only had two midweek games, two Tuesday night games, and you thought, you know, aside from, like, the Christmas period and everything, but, but it's, it's kind of a little bit different. Regular midweeks, there were only two. And I mean, you, it feels sometimes in the championship like you've got about 50. I think I'm, without looking, I think there are only three this season and we've got the whole World Cup um, farce to deal with. I think yeah. our ability to get out of the uh, the Cups quickly as well means it feels like the fixture list is quite empty as well because I know it, 
when you get into kind of FA Cup fourth, fifth round, there are often <laughs> gaps in fixtures there. Ability to get with the cups. <laughs> An inherent talent. Uh, but it's it is weird this season as well because it finishes incredibly late. I mean, it's almost into June by the time it gets wrapped up. So next summer is going to be even shorter than this one. But you would like to think that once you get to that point, the, everything will actually right itself and, and it will fall back into a proper pattern again. All worth it for a feel-good World Cup in Qatar. <laughs> Australia pre-season kicks off uh, three weeks today, actually, as we record this on the, on Thursday. It's the, it's the 14th of July. Is that the first game? So um, they'll be out there in a, in a small matter of, uh, of weeks. They indeed will. Um, Brisbane Roar, to start with, uh, Villa and Palace. They've got, next week, I think, intending to play a behind-closed-doors friendly, um, which will obviously be done privately. Likely it is they'll play one game in York, and I think there will be the traditional Ellen Road game before the season starts. So it should be... I think six friendlies in all by the time it all gets settled. Be interesting to see who they go for at Allen Road because obviously they couldn't do it last year because of the pitch. Um, and we requested an away game first, didn't we? Which we got obviously at Man United. And we start at home this time. So it'd be nice to get back in there and get in the groove early. They had Villarreal last season, but that took place in York precisely because the pitch was still getting getting fitted um, and finished off. So I don't know who the opposition are going to be, but they usually try to make it decent. Newell's old boys? Would be perfect. Um I do believe that they have more serious games to worry about than <laughs> flying to flying to England um, at the moment. So I'm going to say no. <laughs> How would that sit politically as well in terms of a stadium full of people chanting for Marcelo Bielsa? <laughs> it had been arranged last summer <laughs> and contractually there was no there was no way out of it. I tell you what though, I, uh, there might be some pilgrimages to Bilbao next season depending well, on how things work out there. Is the election tomorrow as we record this on Friday? Mm. Well, this is um, this is Bielsa, obviously, who mm. appeared the first time he's said anything since going from Leeds, and he appeared on um, video stream uh, as part of the presidential election at um, Athletic Bilbao, his former club, who he is 100 percent going to go back to if the candidate who wants him, um, a guy called Inaki Arechebaleta, uh, wins the election, um, which is due to take place on Friday. A decision should be announced Friday night. It will be Bielsa who is head coach. It's quite hard to get a handle on what the likelihood of that is because people seem to think that this presidential candidate is third favourite in a three-horse race. But I cannot help feeling that the detail of Bielsa's presentation that he did, which went on for about an hour, and just his presence alone will certainly increase the the voting for for this candidate. It didn't end particularly well for Bielsa at um, Bilbao back when it, it all finished in 2013. But it, ne- it never ends well for Bielsa anyway. But the fa- I think there are a lot of supporters over there who still think an awful lot of him. And it was re- it was great seeing his presentation because I did a piece about a year, year and a half ago on the original presentation that he did when he took the Bilbao job in 2011. And it was exactly the same circumstances because essentially he was the preferred candidate of um, someone who was running for election who in the end got the presidency and, and brought him on board. So he did this huge analysis job, as he's done now, on a club who weren't in a position to say, or for somebody who wasn't in a position to say, you will definitely get the job. If if this guy does not win the presidential election this week, then it won't be Bielsa. It sounds it's like going to be Valverde, Well, it, it sounds like it's going to be Valverde, which in itself is interesting because he was another of the people who was linked with the job at Leeds at the point where it was it was starting to move towards towards Marsh. But go back to 2011 and it was all done on um, Windows 2007 and it was filmed on a rudimentary video camera from the back of a room which just sort of um, focused on the screen and Bielsa taught them through it. And obviously this time round, 
it was all done through um, modern analytical software. Something tells me his analysts and staff will have been rather busy um, over the past few months because it turned out from what he was saying that he was first um, given the nod about the possibility of going back to, um, to Athletic in March. And I don't imagine he's um, taken his eyes off it since then. We were showing a video, weren't we, of, uh, you know, Andres's translator yes. most recently, uh, working as waiting staff in London, apparently, he, apparently just waiting for a call, I think. He, he, he's been working in a bar um, down in Brixton, I believe, and is, yeah, I mean, like the rest of them. Uh, one of them was back in Madrid. Some of the assistants stuck around because they had children in school, you know. So it was halfway through or two-thirds of the way through the school year, and I think the plan was to go when the, the school year wrapped up. But some of the people around Bielsa are incredibly loyal, you know, particularly Quiroga and um, Diego Reyes and also um, Lucas Zavinia, who's been with him for a long time, another of his, um, like a more of a sort of administrative assistant. They've always struck me as guys who will drop everything and go as soon as the, the phone call comes. And I mean, and to a large extent, why wouldn't you? And I mean, the, the, the interest around this will be absolutely huge if it happens, whether it does happen. I mean, a, a few people who know about what's going on in Spain at the Athletic were sort of cautioning me against thinking that this is a, a done deal and guaranteed because, you know, the, there's obviously far more politics involved. But it, it just goes to show that he's not done, is he, at all? Not done. It would be nice. I wouldn't mind a few days in Bilbao. You've done that before, haven't you? You've done, uh, you did a, a, a trip with your wife to Bilbao. No, I got cancelled because of COVID. Ah. But I, d- I had it planned in. You didn't but, tell her about the Bielsa angle, did you? I did not know. I just... <laughs> I just well, that, trips I was like, look at it, it looks, looks that's nice. An, that's an open goal to, to go then, isn't it? You can say, well, you know, it was booked previously, so let's do it this time. <laughs> Except you're not coming this time. <laughs> me, yeah. me, me and my friends. Yeah. <laughs> but it... I, Bilbao and Leeds strike me as comfortable bedfellows, I think, in the way that Leeds and Newell's old boys always have been. Good ethos, same sort of soul, I think. Um, and it will be it will be absolutely fascinating if he goes back in there. At the Phil Hayes Show, if you want to get in touch on Twitter, come and say hi. You can sign up to The Athletic for that pound a month for six months at theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. That wraps it up for another week. Another week closer to pre-season when we come back next week, Phil. You looking forward to it? Always. We'll speak to you then. The Phil Hayes Show. 